started, the sooner you get out. No, not really? It doesn't work like that? Okay, okay. Well, hey, uh, we welcome you to the Driven Church this morning. And uh, our intentions every Sunday when we gather here at 100 Hobson Way is to study God's Word and to leave here with a better understanding of who God is through the reading and studying of His Word. Amen? And uh, that, that's what motivates us. We believe that the Scripture can transform our lives, and so we want to share that Scripture. We want to share that Scripture with an accuracy and an understanding. We want to rightfully divide the Word of Truth to impart to you the knowledge of God, right, and the revelation of God that it might empower and guide, shape your lives out there, right, in the world, right? And so uh, that's what we're going to continue to do today. We're still in a First Thessalonians. We're going to finish chapter, um, chapter 2 today, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20. Uh, that's eight verses, including 13. And, and the, don't be uh, afraid or fearful. We'll try to navigate those few verses with a, a relative speed, relative speed this morning without compromising what it is that we need to cover this morning. Amen? Right? Because that, that's the most important thing. What we're about to do in reading the Word is probably the most important thing that's going to happen this morning prior to the message being preached when we just read God's Word in itself. So that's what we're going to do. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you have a tablet, if you have a phone, if you have uh, whatever form of, uh, of uh, technology you may have with you, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. If you have none of that, you can follow along with us on the monitors up front, and we'll work our way through the Scripture. Now listen, to get us on the right track, those of you who call TDC home, you know what I'm about to say. We're going to have to do a little refresher, because if I jump straight into 13, man, you may not have context to understand what it is that we're sharing. It may not even make sense to you. So we're going to step back a couple of verses that we covered last week, and we're going to kind of uh, march our way through this scripture. Now remember, remember, 1 Thessalonians is the oldest book in the New Testament, older than the Gospels, older than every account or every letter, a letter written by the Apostle Paul or any of the other apostles. It is the oldest book in the New Testament. So there's certain things, man, when Paul says certain things, when he, when he says those things, that you have to understand this is the first time he's writing this to any church, Right? So there's an impact that comes with that that may not find application when reading all the other letters because it's the first time he says these things, right? Now, the other thing to understand, the, Thessalon uh, the church of Thessalonica was born under a great deal of persecution. And the apostle Paul was only in Thessalonica for three weeks. So everything we read about this church in Thessalonica was, was born in God in a matter of 21 days, roughly. That's an incredible thought because the apostle Paul says to them over and over again uh, uh, and, and encourages them numerous times in regards to their faithfulness under adverse conditions. Born in the heart of literally 
infant believers, yet they were demonstrating a maturity that does not uh, uh, typically find itself in a life, uh, a spiritual life uh, born only of 21 days, right? So we'll see that, man. There's some things in this scripture as we read through as well in, in 1 Thessalonians that we have to measure ourselves against because most of us have been in church most of our lives. And then we're going to look at some people that have been in church for three weeks. And then we can contrast their life to our lives. And then we have to ask ourselves, we have to be really honest with ourselves. Why am I not there when I've been in him for 30 years and they have been in him for three weeks and they're there and I'm here? Right? We have to be honest. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to continue to look at this letter to the church in Thessalonica. Okay, everybody with me? Everybody tracking with me? Everybody's on the same tracks. No one's been derailed, right? Because we can get you back on track really quick. We can give you a minute. Gather your thoughts. All right. It appears everybody's on the tracks. By the way, we'll be baptizing four people today. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And let me go ahead and say this. The water's cold. I I set the heater. I, I tripped a breaker. I didn't know it. So you'll just have to suffer through the cold water. But I'll be in there with you. I'll suffer with you. Your burden will become my burden. Right? All right. Listen, 1 Thessalonians, we're going to look at, uh, uh, we're going to start at verse 7 or part of verse 7. And then we're going to kind of read into what we're going to cover today. But we have to read these previous verses to give context. Right? Okay. Prime the whale. Here we go. The Apostle Paul is saying to these guys, this is what he says in first part of verse 7, chapter 2. He says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Whenever he says we, he's referencing himself, Silas, and Timothy. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see how the letter is being addressed to the church in Thessalonica. So whenever you see him use the words we or our, that's who he's representing, or that's who he's, he, he's speaking to right there. He's speaking to the three of those guys collectively, though he's the writer and God's the author, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it says, just as the nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardships. Remember they had come out of Philippi, had suffered, Paul had suffered an extreme beating. So upon arriving in Thessalonica, more than likely he was still bearing the marks of those beatings. He says, you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardships. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses. Remember what that meant, martus, where we get the word martyr in the Greek, right? Martus. It means an eyewitness and an ear witness, right? Meaning, when he says, you are witnesses, he was saying, you heard us and you saw us, Right? And he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, not only are you guys witnesses to the way we conducted ourselves, God is a witness to this as well. Right? He says, you are witnesses and so is God. Witnessed what? How holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. 
For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Now he's making this, this uh, uh, paternal application, right? Remember, we talked about the word pater, a father, a, a father who, who basically uh, creates life. But what, is, what, what was the other definition of pater? It was not just someone who, who uh, infuses life, but it's someone who is committed to the life that they infuse or they create, right? So that's pater. He says here, father, he says this, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting prior to urging. Remember? Remember the encouraging and the comforting consisted, both of those words consist of two Greek words. And the first part of each of those Greek words is the Greek word para, which means to be up close and personal. Right? So to comfort and to encourage in this sense would require para, meaning you have to be engaged. Meaning you have to be up close. You have to be invested. Right? Remember para. Because that's going to come up again. And he says, because if we're, if we're close and we're, we're, we're uh, uh, encouraging and we're comforting, then there's some legitimacy to our urging. And that's what the scripture says. It says that we were encouraging like a father would. We were comforting like a father would. And urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And you're like, okay, Trent, wrap up the sermon. That was last week's. We're just now starting on this week's. The eight verses. Let's look at these. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is. The word of God. Which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, you see that? How many times has he says, he says that brothers and sisters, this, this family, this connection. Oh, my brothers and sisters. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from the, your own people the same things. Those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers and sisters, bring them in. When we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, he says, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For he wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we would glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray this morning that even now, Lord, tired eyes would be open, uh, cloudy minds, Lord, would be clear, clogged hearts, 
liberated and open to receive your word. I pray, Father, that you would speak to each of us through your word this morning. Oh, God, that it might change us. That it might change us to be more like you. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. And I will say, if you're a, if you're a uh, visitor this morning and you're like, <clears throat> you're like, man, what's that music downstairs? Somebody go down and tell those kids, man, turn this stuff down. Do they, do they not realize they're disturbing the, the, the bill payers on the first floor? And we here at the church are like, oh, disturb us. Right? There's nothing more beautiful than to hear the worship of our children just permeating and just, just working its way through the floor, right? If, if, if we've done nothing else, we could just stop and take in the worship of our children because it's pure and it's innocent. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. All right, let's look at this first scripture that we just read. It says, and we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. Now, do you remember just a few minutes ago when I said, hang on to that word para, meaning up close, personal? It means literally the word right here for the word received is para, lambano, and it means to receive alongside of. So what the apostle Paul is saying here, along with Timothy and Silas, is something that I have trumpeted from the very beginning of our ministry here at the church. And that is this. The message that we're giving to you guys must be digested by us first. He was saying to them, the word that you heard from God, we heard alongside of you. And I, and I literally say this every week practically, right? Now, whatever I share with you, understand I've had to digest it through this week. I understand as God is showing me things and, and I'm helping show you things that I too must take that very same word and apply it to myself. Right? Right? Uh, that's, that's a reasonable... Uh, 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 it's reasonable, is it not, to think that I should do this? As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say... For each of us, as followers of Jesus, the only time that we should really be selfish in the sense of a me-first type mentality is when we're talking about the discipline and the teaching of God's Word. Me first. Let me fall under that first. And Paul is saying that to these guys right here. He said, hey guys, I heard the word, I shared it with you. We're all in this together. It isn't me way up here and you guys way down here. Not when it comes to the gospel. Not when it comes to God's word. Man, we're all on an even playing field. And he says this. When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is. The word of God. Which is indeed at work in you who believe. Now listen, if we do not believe that this is the word of God, this is the revelation of God, if we do not, I, don't, I have no idea why we're gathered here. This is the word of God. 
We believe this. I believe this with all my heart, that this is the word of God. And the scripture says, right here, he says something really beautiful. He says, which is indeed at work in you who believe, right? Now, you guys know, because we've covered this, right? Some of you visitors don't know, so I'm going to cover it again really quick. The word work, right? When it says work, it's the Greek word energio, and it means energy or energized, and that's what he's basically saying. It is the energy, the word of God is the energy of God at work in you, in you. Now, the beautiful thing about it is that the Word of God is available to each of us means the power or the energy or the energy of God is available to each of us. The question, I don't know how many of you guys are electricians. We have any electricians out here? We got one electrician? Okay. Anybody else? Well, here, let me just talk to this guy. Okay? No, no, no. I don't want to do this to my brother. But, but if you know anything about electricity, you, you understand the gauge of wiring is going to dictate how much, how many amps you're going to be able to push through that wire. Now, if you've got a 50 amp service, you're trying to push 50, a 50 amp service through a 12 or a 14 gauge wire, you're in trouble, brother. You're in trouble. You know why? The wire isn't designed to handle that much power. It'll flat out either burn it up, melt it, cause a fire. And so what you have to do, you have to have a wire right, capable of channeling the power that's being, what, discharged into the wire, right? The problem sometimes in the church, for believers, when we understand that the energio, the power of God is available to all of us, we want a 50 amp service on a 14 gauge wire. And we can't handle a 50-amp spiritual service. If we want a 50-amp service, spiritually speaking, we need a six-gauge wire, man. You need to be built up. And the lower you go on the gauges, the wire becomes thicker and thicker and thicker. Why is that? To hold up under the heavy load of the amps. You and I, as followers of Jesus, when the, the power of God, the energy of God, the energy of God, through his word is at work in us, if we really want that work to be something significant, then we've got to provide God a channel to flow through. We've got to be willing to be built up, to be strengthened, to be increased. We can't stay 14 gauge our entire life. Paul spoke to this power that was at work in this church. And he spoke to it in the very first chapter of 1 Thessalonians in verse 5. And this is what he said. He said, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, Jay, but also with power. Power. That's what he said. With the Holy Spirit, listen, and deep conviction. Right? That's what it says. And what Paul is implying in this situation is that if you trust the Word of God, 
if you accept the Word of God to be what it is and not merely words of men, but the truth that it is the Word of God, if you accept that there is a transformative property in the Word of God through this inertial that can transform your lives, there is no one who can say to me that they truly believe that the Word of God is the Word of God and stay stagnant. It's impossible. You may utter those words with your lips, but in your heart there is no pistuo, the trusting in, the believing in, as the Greek would imply. There's just a head knowledge. Somewhere we've got to make that transfer from the mind to the heart to the spirit. Right? And somewhere we've got to put ourselves in the hands of God and say, thicken us. Make me stronger, more capable. Build me that I might handle the influence of your spirit and your power in my life that I too may become a channel for other people, right? Regarding the word of God, let me just say this. We must trust and understand what the word says, Ricky, for it to be at work within us. We have to trust it. We have to be willing to apply it to our lives and trust it. Even when it's applied in a manner that seems unfavorable, we must trust it. But not only trust it, we've got to understand it, man. There are so many people, man, I've, I've, I've been in churches, I've been with people, I've talked to people, I've heard them quote scriptures and whatnot, and, and, and they'll say things to me like, well, Trina, uh, I, I, I quoted this scripture, or, or I believed this scripture, and, 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 and I held on to that, man. And that was my, that was my, my life jacket, and, and I was trusting God for that scripture. And it didn't come to pass like the scripture said it was going to. And God failed me. And I'm looking at these individuals, and I'm like, hold on, man. That's not what the scripture's even talking about. What are you, you're asking God to do something that God had never intended to do. And you're taking a scripture, man, and you're inverting this thing. It's like an upside-down delta. And you're assuming then, because your poor understanding of that scripture, you can then hold God hostage to deliver on your poor understanding. I'll give you an example. James, the brother of Jesus. We know him, right? He says this in verse 6 through 8. Man, you've heard this. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not, to, not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So, they'll take a scripture and they're, they're like this. They'll say something. Okay, it says, when I ask, so I'm asking for this and I'm asking for that. And I'm trusting and I'm really believing. I don't want to waver. I don't want to be tossed to and fro. And, and the scripture says, man, uh, 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 that if I'm not like that, then I can expect God to, to, to deliver on his word. And, and, and so I'm holding on to this scripture. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't come to fruition. We forsake God and, 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 and we start out on this crazy notion of deconversion or deconstructing our faith, Right? And I talk to people who make statements like that. And I'm like, did you read the verse before that? Well, let me read the verse before that. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. 
and it will be given to you. What's he talking about? Wisdom. But when you ask for what? Wisdom. You must believe and not doubt. Doubt what? That God gives wisdom generously to all without finding fault. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Why? Because you are depending on your wisdom. Right? The script, that person should not to ex expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. He's talking about, when you read the scripture contextually, he's talking about God giving liberally wisdom. And we want to talk about cars, jobs, money, promotions. And God's saying, man, I'm talking about wisdom. But the thing I found out is that when I engage people in conversation, it's not so much that they're wanting the Word of God to work in them, but they're wanting the, God, the Word of God to work for them. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right? You, you, you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's the individual who says, Lord, don't change me to respond to someone's negative actions in a kind way. Change that person so they won't have negative actions that are a catalyst to my bad responses. Right? That's, not, that's, the, that's the idea of not working in you and working for you. And the Apostle Paul says to them, he says, it is indeed working in you. That's what he said. You know what he's saying? Oh, I see this. We've already covered that. I see it working. People should be able to see that in us, right? That's the reason I said a few minutes ago, man, you can't tell me you believe in the Word of God and it not alter you, change you. As a matter of fact, I can go into places like this, man, and you can, for the most part, just look at people. And you know by the way they conduct themselves, the lives that they live, the way they interact with favorable and unfavorable situations, whether or not they really believe, right? Okay, okay, Trick, go, go on. All right, all right, and then he says this. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same thing. Those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. Now, this is a young church man, and they're under the load, brother. They're under the load of persecution, suffering, and pain. They're under the load. And he says to them, you have become imitators of God's churches in Judea. He's referencing that their suffering and persecution is very similar to what these churches in Judea are suffering under. You know the powerful thought about that? Because remember, this is the first letter he writes. Guess who was the instrument in the suffering in Judea? You go to Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is killed and you go into Acts chapter 8 and you'll find the same man, Paul, being the instrument. The scripture actually says that he was destroying the church of God. That's what it says, man. You go read it. And so right there in that moment, the apostle Paul for, for the first time writes to them about a suffering that he was a part of causing. Hmm. We'll leave that one alone this Sunday. 
But he was a part of that. And in this moment to deliver God's word and God's truth, he doesn't shy away from this. He doesn't shy away from it. He said, man, you guys are experiencing the same thing that I caused over here, right? And the reality for your life and for my life is simply this. There are times when we must simply own our past. Honestly, that God might own our future. We have to just come clean, man. You know what I mean? You just have to own it. Man, he's ministering the truth of God to this church at Thessalonica. And in so doing, he exposes himself. And you think that wasn't a sensitive spot? How many of you guys have seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? All right, how many of you are lying and have seen it and you just didn't raise your hand? Okay, okay. Okay. There's a there's a really funny scene in, in that movie. And I'm talking about owning things, man. And sometimes, man, the best thing we can do, man, listen, is to take all of our junk, grab that stuff up, man, and run as fast as you can to the throne. Right? Take all the accusations of the enemy. Those that have merit. And guess what? Some of the enemy's accusations have merit. Right? We just need to take them all there and leave them at the feet of Jesus. In the movie, Old Brother, Where Art Thou? There's this baptizing scene. It's kind of ironic that we're doing the baptisms today, right? But there's this scene, and there's this one character named uh, Delmar, right? Am I right? Delmar? Right? And, 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 and all of these people are coming through the woods and, and they're about to be baptized. And Delmar, I, I assume I'm reading this correctly, Delmar falls under the conviction of the Spirit. Right? I'm assuming that's right, right? And so Delmar rushes out to the deep water, cuts line. He jumps line right there. There's a line of women and men robed in white. Delmar's in his rough clothes. He runs out to the deep water, cuts line. He's like, and jumps right into the preacher's arms. The preacher says whatever the preacher says to him, and he dunks Delmar. Pete says, Delmar done went and got saved. Right? And Delmar's coming up out of the water. You guys remember the scene? And he's testifying to the goodness of God, right? He's just saying all this wild and crazy stuff. He said, he's forgiven me of all these things. He even forgave me of robbing that bank or that piggly wiggly. That's what it was, wasn't it? He said, God has forgiven me of even robbing that Piggly Wiggly. And Everett says to him, I thought you didn't rob that Piggly Wiggly. He said, I lied, but God's forgiven me of that too. (laughs) Right? That's what he said, right? Now, if the Apostle Paul was trying to minister to this church at Thessalonica, and he tried to pull the curtain on his past failures, his miserable regrets, How authentic would that have looked? And we approach God sometimes, man, and we want to try to cloak things. We want to try to hide things. We just don't want to come clean, man. How authentic does that look? Do you think it looks authentic? God is saying, man, bring it to me. All of it. All of it. The piggly wigglies, the lies. Bring it on. And the apostle Paul has to own it right there. And he says to them, you guys are experienced. And when he's ta- what he's talking about right here 
is the fact that they were rooted. It wasn't really even the persecution. He was saying, man, you have become imitators, not imitators of the, of the suffering and the persecution, but you've become imitators of the response to the suffering and the persecution. That's what you become imitators of. You are rooted like they're rooted. But you're three weeks old. How? How? In Judea, they have the apostles. You've got us for three weeks. And yet you're grounded like they're grounded. How do we get grounded like that? The scripture says right there, because they're in Christ Jesus. You ain't going to get grounded in your own strength. You're not going to get thicker and broader in your own doing. It's exposing yourself to Jesus, right? Being in him, right? And then he says this. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus. Now remember, remember go back to Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8. Man, that's Paul. That's Paul's doing. He was part of that mess. Watch what he does. Watch his sweet transition. This is one of those hidden things, but it's sweet. He says this. Those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. You see what he's doing? He's aligning himself on this side of a coin. I was there. I started there, but now I'm here. Some of you started there, Ricky. I know you started there, brother. We started together, right? I don't even know that we started here, man. We started here, right? But now we're here. <laughs> and then he says this, okay? He says, and we're going we're to move through this. They displease God and are hostile to everyone. Who's he talking about? He's talking about those Jews who persecuted. But then the question becomes, what is the displeasure? and What generates this hostility? Because Paul says, these cats that are doing this kind of stuff, these Jews who killed Jesus, the prophets and drove us out, they displease God and are hostile towards everyone. Why is that? What, what is the displeasure? What generates this hostility? It's this, in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. Did you get that? Well, let me open it for you. That's displeasing to God. So the opposite of that would be pleasing to God, right? That's reasonable assumption, right? If this displeases God, them trying to prevent the gospel from going out to the Gentiles as well as the Jews? What does that then say about God? It is His pleasure that you be saved. <laughs> Man, what are you talking about? It is the pleasure of God. That's what He's saying, basically. 
their actions to prevent the gospel from share, uh, being shared is displeasing because God's pleasing is in administering salvation to all men, Jew and Gentile alike. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says this, get this, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And you go to verse 3 and 4, why is that? For this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people. That's Ricky, that's me, that's Jeremiah. Wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is the pleasure of God. And then the scripture goes on to say, because of their actions, in this way they have always heaped up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. The wrath, the, the wrath of God is orgade. It means settled anger or settled opposition. But see, that's not a new thought. That was a revelation given back in Acts. Do you remember what happened in Acts? Chapter 5, verse 38 and 39. Gamaliel, remember him? He was a Pharisee, a wise teacher. And this is what he said. To the Pharisees that had killed Jesus and were persecuting the church, he says these words. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone for the plan or this undertaking is of man. It will fail, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And Paul says right there, the wrath of God, the opposition of God has come upon them. That had already been prophetically spoken by Pharisee. All right, let's, let's, let's move. But brothers and sisters, there's a, there's a family. That, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, right? He's saying, hey, hey, our love for you can't be separated by distance. He, we were separated, but not in thought, not in, not in our inner person. We stayed connected, though separated physically, right? Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Hmm. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Intense, there's a parasols is the Greek word, parasos. It means uh, abundance or overflowing, Jay. Remember, we parasos. So when, the, when Jesus talks about, I've come to give you life and give it to the full, that's parasos. Full, it's pouring out. He said, our longing for you, man, had spilled out, had overflowed. We couldn't contain it. I remember several years ago, uh, Danny Nichols and his wife were at our house and uh, Carrie and Anita had gone for a walk and, and I, I was left with the responsibility of running the dishwasher. I looked down in it, there wasn't any Cascade tablets. Well, you know what Trent did, he's smart. I saw that concentrated container of uh, dishwashing powder and I said, okay, I'll just pop that little top open. I threw in a couple spoonfuls of that, I shut that thing up, I shut that door. I hit extended wash. Pow. And I walked off. 
going to champion my efforts for my wife when she got home. And we're sitting in the kitchen. Now, Danny Nichols is blind now, but he could see then. <laughs> I heard that washing machine running. Danny Nichols said, Trent, what's that? I said, what are you talking about? He said, look, I got him. I walked over there. There were bubbles going everywhere at our kitchen floor. I mean, that washing machine, man, or that dishwasher, that's what I'm talking about, that dishwasher, it was just pouring out, man. I mean, there were suds everywhere. That, that is parasols right there. I mean, when the, when the, the device can't contain the, that, the overflow, the, 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 the pouring out, that's what he's talking about. When he talks about their longing, he said, man, it's running all over the place. It's in us to be with you guys. Oh, they understood that. They understood that. They understood Greek. They understood what he was saying. He said, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, but we wanted to come to you. He said, certainly I, Paul, did. You see that personal? He said, again and again. And then Paul, being the true champion of the faith, an apostle with apostolic gifts, healing people, delivering people, doing miraculous things, said... But Satan blocked our way. He knew his limitations, didn't he? But Satan blocked our way. But you know what he also knew? He knew where the answer was at. You know, you know what the answer is? The answer is found in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. You know what Paul says in response to Satan blocking their way? He says this. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us. <laughs> you see that? You see it? Oh, the enemy has blocked our way. But the Father and the Son, oh, they can clear the way. That's what he says. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then closing right here. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are a glory and our joy. I don't know if you guys, uh, we got any English majors in here? English majors? Okay, I'll go ahead and step out on the limb here. What is an indefinite pronoun which refers to a nonspecific person or thing? That's the reason in many translations, the way I just read it, it'll be worded like that, and it'll, it'll read like this. What is for what? The problem is, in an indefinite pronoun, it's describing an unknown person or thing. This isn't a thing. The correct translation and rendering in that moment. Now listen, the King James renders it what? The New King James renders it what? The NIV renders it what? The ESV enters, uh, uh, renders it what? And they're all incorrect. Because it's not a what. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul acknowledges that. Because he says this. Is it not you? And you say, well, Trent, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about the indefinite pronoun, whether it should be what or whether it should be who? It's always been who. Because the church has never been a what. It's not a location or place or a residence. It's a who. And he finishes the scripture and he says, indeed, 
You are our glory and our joy. It's you. You know why? It's always been and it will always be that we, the image bearers of God, are always going to be the targets of his affection. It's you. His affections are directed to you, Mom. You, Dad. It's always been like that. And it'll always be like that. And Paul sums this up in Romans when he says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. He died for us. You have always been the target of his affections. I'm going to ask Derek if he would take the guys out and everyone get ready for the baptism. What about you guys? We got, we got four people being baptized this morning. Making a profession of faith, concluding that profession with an act of demonstration of faith, and carrying out the charge of baptism. But what about you this morning? Have you ever considered that? Have you ever thought about that? That God's affections have always been turned towards you. They have been turned towards you in your worst of conditions, in your worst of situations. While you were still a sinner, the scripture says he demonstrated his love for you and died for you. It's always been and it will always be. And so here we sit on September the 17th, Kevin, having to make a decision what do we do with this God whose affections are directed towards us? He's never loved you less, but he's never loved you more than he does right now. You have never been worth more to him at any point in your life than you're worth to him right now. What do you do with a love like that? How do you respond to a love like that? I'm just going to ask you to stand with me for a moment. I'm going to ask Carrie just to come, just briefly. With their heads bowed, man, we're just, I'm just going to give you a chance to think this thing through. And to those of you who are visitors, man, and you're thinking, oh, man, the preacher's going to do this bait and switch thing, man. He's going to trick me into this or trick me into that or manipulate this or manipulate that. It's none of that, man. None of that. None of that. This is just your opportunity. Your opportunity to respond to a God whom the scripture clearly paints 
His heart is for you. Your family may not be for you. Your workplace may not be for you. You might feel like your parents aren't for you. Your children aren't for you. Man, you may even be asking yourself, is anyone for me? And I would say to you this morning, I know one who is. I know one who is for you. And he's always been for you. And he'll always be for you. Right? So this is your opportunity. Your opportunity. No sleight of hand, no trickery. You can... Like those Thessalonians, man, you may be, you may be 21 days away from something dramatic. What God can do in your life from this moment, in 21 days, people may be saying of you, I can't believe what God has done in his life. In just a few weeks, what God has restored, what God has recovered, what God has redeemed. This is your opportunity. That's what this is, yeah. It's your opportunity. These altars are open. If you want someone to pray for you, all you have to do is raise a hand. You come down or someone will be up here to pray with you. We don't need to know your business. We're not. You share what you want to share with us. You share what you need to share with him. This is, this is your moment right now. It's your moment.